So it's lovely to be here with you this morning. As Annalisa said, don't panic, the Bible reading is coming in a minute. But because we're starting a new sermon series today, I thought it would be good just to set a bit of the context first. So most of you were probably here with us last year. This time last year, we spent a term journeying together through the first seven and a half chapters of the book of Acts. And we're now picking up in the middle section of the book. And with a view to, at some point, I'm not going to be drawn on a date, but at some point, we will come back and do part three. So we're doing the middle third of Acts for now. So the story so far. Acts picks up from where the Gospel of Luke left off. And if you were with us last term, you'll know that we were doing a series through the Gospel of Luke. So this is volume two, and it's also written by the Apostle Luke. It's a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. In Acts chapter one, we see that the apostles were gathered together in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus promises them in Acts one verse eight, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's why I've got ripples on the screen. It's that idea of the gospel rippling out from the center in Jerusalem to Judea, the neighboring land, and Samaria, the country next to that, and then to the very ends of the earth. And that's what happened in the first few chapters of the book of Acts and continues. And it's a story that hasn't yet reached its final chapter as we now take up the baton and share in that commission to witness the good news of Jesus here in Claygate, wherever we find ourselves, and to the very ends of the earth. So the first part of Acts is full of stories of the gospel being preached, miraculous healings in the name of Jesus, People putting their faith in Jesus and working out what it means to be the early church in fellowship together. But there is also a growing strand of persecution. The Jewish authorities see this new Christian movement as a threat to the establishment and to their own position. And at the beginning of chapter 8, we saw a great wave of persecution of the Jerusalem church, leading to the apostles being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. There's that first gospel ripple in action. And we're told, chapter 8, verse 4, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And we finished last year's series with the story in the first half of chapter 8 of Philip proclaiming the good news in Samaria, and the believers there received the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the passage we're going to hear today, which picks up the next part of Philip's story. So, Michael, if you'd like to bring us our reading. Thank you. Reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, and can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1101. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met a Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near to it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He was led, um, and this is the verse of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as, an, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. And thank you very much, Michael. So do, if you'd like, keep that open in front of you. I think it was page 1101 in the Church Bibles as we look at this together. So earlier in Acts, we sort of had the broad brushstrokes of large groups of people coming to faith, being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. But now we zoom in and our focus in this passage is on one single individual, a conversation between two people that led to a life-changing moment. So we're going to look at this first from the point of view of the Ethiopian and his journey of faith. And then we're going to switch and look at Philip and his model of evangelism and consider what we can learn from that. So first, what do we see of the Ethiopian's journey of faith? And the first thing I'd like us to notice is it was a journey with no barriers a journey with no barriers so this Ethiopian eunuch was a really important guy in his world 
He was sort of a chancellor of the Exchequer, if that helps anyone to kind of picture his role. He was in charge of the treasury. And it would have been quite unusual for someone of his status to go and worship in Jerusalem. This is not in my notes, but I heard Stuart preach at the 9.30 this morning, and he said it would have been a five-month journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. So five months there, five months back again. So that was a pretty big investment of time in going and worshipping in Jerusalem. And this guy was probably what was known as a God-fearer. That means he wasn't a Jew, but he believed in God and respected the teachings of Judaism. And so that's probably why he was sat in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. From a Jewish point of view, he was not one of the in crowd. He was an outsider. And yet he is the one that the angel of the Lord sends Philip to. We're starting to see glimmers of a theme that's going to come up again and again in this section of Acts. No one is excluded from the good news of Jesus. There is no in crowd anymore. The barriers are broken down and the outsiders become insiders. I wonder if any of you have read or seen or heard about Prince Harry's book, Spare. It's all about how he was part of the royal family, yet he felt on the sidelines. That classic phrase, an heir and a spare, made him feel like a second-class citizen, not part of the in-crowd. And did you see at the coronation yesterday how he was seated like three rows behind the royal family? He was seated with Beatrice and Eugenie and their husbands and quite markedly separate from William and Kate in the front and Charles and Camilla over there. And at the end, he got whisked away and didn't show up on the balcony. So without wanting to comment on the rights and wrongs of all of this, that feeling of being on the margins, being an outsider, certainly comes across strongly if you read what he's written. But in God's kingdom, there are no spares. We're all heirs. All of us, whatever our background, race, culture, or gender, can be children of God if we put our faith in Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 3, these amazing words, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I wonder if any of us might feel or perhaps have ever felt in the past that we're not good enough in some way for God to love us. Do we feel like we're too old or too young? or not clever enough, or not from the right background, or perhaps there are things in our past which we feel count us out and make us unworthy of God's love. Please hear this as I say to you, none of that counts for anything in God's kingdom. We are all children of God if we put our faith in him. No one is left on the margins. No one is an outsider. God knows you completely. Everything in your past, everything in your heart today, everything in your future is known completely by him. And yet, knowing all of that, he loves you completely. He flings wide his arms of love to welcome you home. There is no barrier. We are all welcomed home into the arms of God. 
this journey of faith that we're invited to join our Ethiopian friends is a journey with no barriers. But secondly, it's a journey that involves word and water. We've seen that our Ethiopian respected the teachings found in the Jewish scriptures. That's what we know as the Old Testament. And even though he didn't really understand what he was reading, he wanted to read God's word. There was that desire in his heart. And he's humble. He's happy to admit his ignorance. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? I love that question. And he's ready to be taught when Philip comes along and explains. And when he hears the good news about Jesus, his response is instant. It's a bit of a comedy moment, I think, isn't it? I can just visualize them driving along in the chariot and get into a pool of water by the side of the road. Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my getting baptized? Love it. Baptism was a normal first step for a new convert in the first century. And so although we've only got the story recorded really briefly here, it's clear that the Ethiopian has put his faith in Jesus. And he wants now to express that new faith by being baptized. And then he goes on his way rejoicing. He knows that he is now God's child, that this outsider has become an insider. I wonder what your journey looks like. For me, I came to faith when I was 18. I heard the gospel talk, and it was just one of those penny-drop moments. I knew that God was my loving father who was holding out his arms to welcome me home as his child. And my relationship with God began to grow as I developed a desire to read his word for myself. And I was blessed to have people in my life who were more mature Christians who invested their time in me, in meeting one-to-one and in groups to help me understand and get to know the Bible better. I'd been baptized as a baby and confirmed as a teenager, and baptism is a one-time thing, but I was able to express my new faith by reaffirming my baptism vows in a service at the church where I attended at the time. So how about you? What place do God's word and the water of baptism have in your journey? Do you see the Bible as a delight and a joy, an invitation to meet with God? Or do you see it as something to read occasionally out of duty or obligation, or perhaps not at all? How excited are you about opportunities to learn and grow together with others, maybe as being part of a small group, or listening to podcasts, or attending church on a Sunday? We are all invited to root ourselves deeply in the living water of God's word. And if you're on that journey of following Christ for yourself, have you been baptized as a way of expressing that faith in a visible, tangible way? We love doing baptisms here at church. So if you've never been baptized, there is no upper age limit. I'd love to chat to you afterwards about that. Or, you know, perhaps if you're baptized as a baby, you want to talk about reaffirming that now as an adult. And I'd like to chat about that as well. I was speaking to a member of our church this week, who's actually here this morning, I'm not going to name and shame, but she was baptized as an adult, and she told me that her daughter was in the congregation that day when she got baptized, and the daughter was convicted that she wanted to be baptized too, and got baptized later that same day. Now, you might prefer a little bit of thinking time, 
we do have another service this evening, if you don't want a little bit of thinking time, but let's at least start the conversation if you haven't yet expressed your faith in the form of baptism. So this journey of faith in which we're all invited to join is not only a journey with no barriers, but it's one in which God's word and the water of baptism are key parts of the journey. We're going to move on now and look at the story from the point of view of Philip and consider what we can learn from how he shares the good news from the model of evangelism that he adopts. Firstly, Philip's starting point. It's just a perfect setup, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have ever had the opportunity where we stumble across someone reading the Bible who readily admits that they don't have a clue what they're reading and just asks us to explain it to them? I mean, it's the sort of gospel-sharing opportunity that many of us could only dream of in our wildest dreams. But the key thing is that Philip starts from where this guy is at. He doesn't come with his own agenda. He doesn't say, aha, so you're reading Isaiah. Well, that's very interesting. But please listen while I share with you this five-step gospel outline that I happen to have memorized. No. He starts with the very passage of scripture that the man is reading and starts from there as he shares the good news of Jesus. In the autumn last year, I was leading a group on the Alpha course here at church, and I loved it. It was a great opportunity to spend time with people who wanted to explore questions about faith in a relaxed way. Every week, there was a video that looked at a particular question, things like, why did Jesus die, or how does God guide us? Now, I watched the videos in advance, and I had a bit of an idea in my head as to how I could explain the gospel, starting from that point, based on what we just heard. But that isn't actually how Alpha works. Because as group leaders, we were encouraged to that the first question we asked after the video was, so what did you make of that video? And then let the conversation start from there. Starting from where the people in the room were at, the things that felt important to them, and then go on to explore the good news of Jesus from that starting point, not from my own pre-prepared ideas. Think for a moment about the people you know who wouldn't call themselves Christians, whether that's people in your family, people at work, in your friendship group, or whatever. What sort of questions do they have about faith? Where are they coming from? And if you don't know, then why not ask them next time you're chatting to them? I find on Alpha that a lot of the big questions people have are in the area of suffering. So why does a good God let bad stuff happen in the world? Or for some, it's much more personal. Why has God let this bad thing happen to me or to someone I love? But each person will have their own starting point. And the important thing is to find out where that person is at and begin from there, not with our own agenda. Perhaps some of us know all too well where our friends and family are at because they've told us multiple times, but we just have no idea how to share our faith from that starting point. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to do some research. There's a great book by Nikki Gumbel called Searching Issues, which addresses some of the most common big questions that people have. Things like suffering, the interface between science and Christianity, or the place of other religions. It's an easy read, 
and I'd recommend it. It's on Amazon, you can get a Kindle version as well. I'm not trying to be a salesperson for it, but it is a really good starting point for some of those big questions. Or chat to me or one of the other members of the clergy or a Christian you know, and just have a bit of a brainstorm together as to how you could share the good news about Jesus from the starting point of someone you know. Because as we see from Philip's model of evangelism, we will share the good news most effectively when we start from where the other person is at. The second thing we can learn about Philip is that he followed God's guidance. So Philip is given a direct command by the angel of the Lord to go and speak to this Ethiopian. And then at the end of the encounter, the Holy Spirit whisks Philip away and onto the next assignment. It's a bit weird, isn't it? I, I don't know if any of you have ever read Harry Potter, and it kind of reminds me of like somebody disapparating from one place and apparating again into somewhere else sort of instantly. But anyway, let's not get hung up on the detail of exactly what's going on with that, because there is a really important principle that we can all follow. Philip was open to listen for God's prompting. And he didn't write off the Ethiopian as too unlikely a person for him to go and speak to. He just simply obeyed. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think I would have been tempted to argue back to God. I mean, God, do you really want me to go and speak to that person over there? They're a bit unlikely, and what if they tell me I'm wasting my time and are horrible to me? But Philip doesn't do any of that, despite the fact that he has already had a successful preaching ministry to towns and cities around Samaria. He knows it's important to engage one-to-one with this person that God has sent him to. He's not too self-important. He engages with the one rather than the many when God calls. Now, in a former life, years gone by, I studied chemistry for several years. And as part of that, I spent three years working in a research lab, day in, day out, with the same two guys for three years. None of them was a Christian. And to be honest, they gave me a pretty hard time for my faith. It seemed like they were more interested in making jokes at my expense and taking the mickey out of me than any sort of deeper level of engagement. And I began to question why God had put me in that situation. And I began to wonder whether I should actually ask to be moved elsewhere because it was really quite tough. But I felt that God made it clear to me that I should stay put and keep going. It wasn't easy. But over time, things did begin to change. And the conversations began to be a little more actually genuine engagement rather than mockery. And there were times when I was able to share the good news about Jesus, starting from a question that one of them had asked. And after a couple of years, one of them was getting married. And turns out I was the only Christian that he and his fiance know. And it, they asked me to help them plan the wedding service and choose hymns and prayers. And I could never have imagined that three years previously. So it was just amazing, sort of following God's guidance by staying in that situation. And God used that. So how can we all more intentionally open ourselves to follow God's guidance in seeking to share our faith? How about a simple prayer to pray at the start of every day? Lord, who do you want me to speak to today? Help me listen to where they're at and give me the words to share your good news. Don't write anyone off as too unlikely. 
God might prompt you to speak to someone that you'd never normally engage with or in a context that seems really unlikely. I mean, I know there's one or two of you who have a great ministry of chatting to others on the K3 bus when some of us would run a mile from engaging in conversation in that sort of scenario. But whatever it is, God may prompt you to engage in conversation with somebody or God might prompt you to do something that I think requires an extra measure of courage and ask a question in conversation with a friend or a family member that will take the conversation to a deeper level. So Philip's model of evangelism encourages us to start where the person we're speaking to is at, praying for God to guide us as we seek to share the good news of Jesus. So as we draw to a close, let me bring some threads together. The Ethiopian's journey of faith was a journey with no barriers, open to all, in which God's word and the water of baptism were key parts of the journey. We too are invited on this journey to respond in faith to the God who knows us and loves us just as we are and longs to welcome us home as his child. He invites us to sink our roots deeply into the water of his word and express our faith in baptism. And as we go on that journey, our love for Jesus will begin to overflow in a desire to share our faith with others, as Philip did, starting from where they're at and letting ourselves be guided by the Holy Spirit. I finish with a quote from evangelist J. John, who beautifully sums up this idea of faith overflowing into a desire to share with others. The best evangelism is not driven by feelings of guilt or duty, but is a natural byproduct of falling deeply in love with Jesus. It is quite simply the overflow of the abundant life that Christ has made available to us. A missionary is not someone who crosses the sea, A missionary is someone who sees the cross. When we have encountered the love of Christ, his love compels us. Amen.